Amen. Was that some good worship or what? Well, I'll tell you what, I don't even know where they're at. They've slain in the spirit back there some, they didn't even come out. Hey, what a wonderful day to be in the Lord's house. God showed up this morning, he's waiting on you, and uh, man, that was just sweet. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. We are in a series called Exodus on the Move. Now, we're in a mini-series within the series called The Ten Commandments. And today, we're in the second part of a mini-series inside the mini-series inside the series called Stealing. Now, on the surface, you wouldn't realize Exodus chapter, there they are. Let's show some love for our team right there. There they are. <clears throat> Thank you, guys. Beautiful. And so, you, on the surface, when you read the Bible and you, you run to Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, and you see, uh, you shall not steal or thou shalt not steal in the King James, you think, how, how much information is there? I mean, you know, how much can there be about stealing? There's a lot. It's a really big deal. Tell the person next to you, stealing is a big deal. And so, so packed inside the big 10, the 10 commandments of God, uh, there's a commandment, uh, number eight, no stealing. Now we're learning the commandments and we're learning them with our hands because we need to know them uh, just because it's a foundation, a, a, a bedrock for our Christian journey. So number one, there's only one God, keep him holy, there's only one God, okay? Number two, two's too many, never bow to anybody else. Number three, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, keep his name holy, watch what you say. Number four, two lowercase r's in sign language, rest and remember, keep the Sabbath holy. Number five, salute, honor your father and your mother. Number six, no murder. Number seven, sex is intended for a man and a woman who are married and not all this other stuff. Number eight, which is where we are, no stealing. It's hard to take people's stuff if you ain't got no thumbs. We're on number eight, no stealing. Now in the Hebrew, it's even simpler than what most of our translations say. Two Hebrew words, low Tignov. Everybody say low Tignov. No stealing. It's that simple on the surface. But the truth is, of all of the commandments, this is probably the one that we break the most. In fact, I am certain of it. And I want to show you today why I believe and why it's true that we break this commandment more than any other. Because we really don't understand how serious this thing is and how it reaches into other parts of our life. And so by definition, we talked about last week, there's two actions that are considered stealing if you look up the definition. One which we looked at last week, and if you want to fill in the blanks on number one or A uh, last week, you'll have to listen to last week's message on YouTube or Facebook because we covered that. And so, but number one was this, to carry away stealthily without the thought of return. And that's the one we most, are most, most commonly consider when we think of the word stealing. It is when somebody takes something from someone else stealthily or without their knowledge, without the thought or the consideration of returning it. And, and, and that is stealing. But there's another side of the equation that I think that we're more guilty of. We were reminded last week of the serious nature of stealing in Scripture in 1 Corinthians that when we consider some of the sins of the world, we package them and we want to prioritize them. God doesn't do that. He says sin, and sin, sin is sin. But there's times when God packages different sin natures into a group of people and he calls them either hellbound or unrighteous. And in 1 Corinthians, there's a list of people that God says are unrighteous and they're on the hellbound train. There's no, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not go to heaven. And there's only two eternal destinations, heaven and hell. And so in there, he includes uh, people that we obviously think would be in there. Murderers are in there. Adulterers are in there. 
homosexuals are in there. And I'm not talking about people who struggle with things in their mind. I'm talking about people who live this lifestyle and uh, glory in it. But in that list is also this word, thieves. People who steal, their life is just made up of taking things that are not theirs without the thought of return. They're included in this list of people who will not inherit heaven. It's a big deal. Now, we're going to see today why, in part, it's such a big deal. And we're going to do it by looking at the second half of the definition of stealing. And this one is less conspicuous, less obvious sometimes because we defend these forms of stealing sometimes. We, we argue uh, or debate that it's really not that bad. And so B, the second half of the definition of stealing is this, to withhold what is rightfully someone else's. It's not taking something from somebody. It's withholding something that is rightfully somebody else's. So we're going to look at about five categories, okay? The first one, are you ready? Taxes. We talked a little bit about it last week, and I'm going to recover it because it launches us into the rest. Taxes. We all have services provided to us by the government. We have military protection. We have roads. We have programs. We should pay our taxes, okay? Now, I'm not saying send them any extra because they're terrible money managers. They're terrible, but we should pay our taxes. As Scripture says in Romans 13, pay everyone what is owed, taxes to whom taxes are due. He goes on, he says, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, and honor to whom honor is due. And, and you can make the argument sometimes, this is what I was saying earlier, how it's inconspicuous, we argue against it. You say, well, they're terrible with our money. It's frivolous spending. The debt is too high. And so I shouldn't pay my taxes. Two wrongs don't make a right. Just because they're terrible doesn't mean we should be too. Just because they steal doesn't mean we steal from them. And so we should pay our taxes. Number two, bills and invoices. Uh, some people if we went to your house, would have bills and invoices laying on next to your telephone or your old wall telephone, wherever you have it, next to your refrigerator, on your desk, bills and invoices from somebody that you have not paid that are about 90 days old. It may be a medical bill, okay? If you go to my house, you'll find one. I'm, I'm gonna confess it, okay? Kendra, we go to the doctor, I'll go to the doctor, we'll get a bill, I don't know what it is. I've never heard of this organization before. And it'll say I owe $9.17. I'll tell you another good one on my, I'm, gonna, I'm transparency. You know, confession's good for the soul. I've got one on my desk right now. And she's grinning. She probably knows where I'm going. From Florida. From Florida, you have to have a degree in transportation engineering to, fit, to figure out when you're supposed to pull in and pay a toll. I end up pulling in and just giving people money I don't even know. Guys standing there, are you the toll guy? Let me give you some money. I don't even know, okay? But inevitably, and Kendra's helping me. I'm not by myself. We try, and then I get home, and I get a gift from Florida. You owe like $20 because you missed a toll booth. I didn't intend to, but it, I ain't paying it. Well, I'm going to make them come get me, okay? No, I'll, one day I'll pay it. One day I'll there it is. It, it, I can't throw it away. It's right there. I'm cleaning off my desk. I'll pay it, but I hadn't paid it yet. Now, you've got some of those too, you old self-righteous ones. But you've got them too. Let's just own that. Well, we're supposed to pay our bills and our invoices or it's stealing. If I don't pay that bill because I did something wrong, I'm stealing. Fair enough? Now, there are people who stop paying rent, and yet they 
continue to live there until the eviction process is complete. 90 days, that's stealing. There are people who have who leverage everything they own with second and third mortgages to pay off bad debt, credit cards, and all that stuff. And then they accumulate more debt. Ultimately, they have to file bankruptcy and stealing because we spent the money, we used the money, and somebody else is going to pay for it. That is stealing. Now, Proverbs says this in Proverbs 22, verse 26. Do not be the one who strikes hands in pledge or puts up security for debt. If you do not have enough to pay, your bed will be taken right out from under you. We need to pay our bills. We need to pay our invoices. We need to pay our taxes. Now, the next one is a little bit more sensitive. It's we need to pay our employees, employee wages. If you are responsible for paying employees wages at any level, you should pay them what they're worth. And you should pay them on time. If they're good employees, pay them well. If they make your organization successful, pay them well and be generous. It's like if you go to the restaurant today for lunch and the lady or the man waits your table. And I mean, they're off the chain. You know, they're making, they're making lower wages because they rely on tips. <clears throat> and they do great. I mean, that person keeps your glass full of tea. They're bringing you bread. I mean, they're taking care of all your needs. And you notice it. And you talk to the person. You're like, that person's doing great. Okay. And then so you just tell them when they come in. Listen, I just want to tell you, Luann, <laughs> you are doing a fantastic job. Best waitress I've had in a long time. And then she walks away. And you pay your bill. And you leave her a dollar. You ain't showing no love. Yeah, that's stealing. That's stealing. Now, let me clear something else up. If you go to um, Super Chicks or you go to Brewster's today and they hold that little thing out there and turn their head, you know what they're doing. It says on their tip, 20%, 25%. You know what I'm looking for desperately? The word none. You ain't get no tip. You didn't do anything. You're just standing in there, but they turn their head like, you know, I don't even, I don't even care. Oh, they care. They're wanting you to get... I'm going to free you up. You don't have to tip somebody if they ain't doing anything. You don't have to be in shame, okay? I'm going to liberate you. Now, if you want to waste your money, fine. But I would encourage you just, that's the goofiest system. COVID, I guess, did that, okay? Now, we need to pay our employees well. We need to take care of them. We need to be generous. If somebody cuts your grass, you need to pay them. You need to pay them well. And you need to pay them on time. Listen to what scripture says in James 5, 4. Look, the pay you have held back from the workers who mowed your fields cries out against you. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. And so I've got grass. My mower was down. Brady, is Brady in here? Brady cut my grass. I paid him for cutting my grass a couple times. But then Brady cut my grass and took off to Florida. Brady, come here. Walk on up here. I didn't pay you. And the cries, you're moaning and crying about me not paying you, have risen up to heaven, to the Lord's army. So there's your money. No more crying. Now get on back over there. Pay the man if he cuts your grass. Your dad said there's a few twigs sticking up that I didn't have to pay you, but I did anyway because he was crying. 
okay? Now, now, it's, this is not rocket science. It's not hard to understand, but we violate this principle all the time. Leviticus 19, 13 says, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Romans 4, 4 says, now the one who works, his pay is not credited due to grace, but to obligation. You know what that's saying? You don't pay people like you're doing them a favor, like it's grace. You pay people because they rendered a service. I remember when I was building houses. <clears throat> and say I was building, it was cost plus, meaning whatever it costs plus some amount. Say it was 15%. And I remember there were people that I would, we would spend about $100,000 getting, getting the foundation in and maybe the block and part of the framing. And I would say, hey, it's a good place. It's about a fourth of the money. Um, we've spent $100,000. You paid the bills. Here's a copy of the invoices. And you owe me 15%, which is 15000 for the first 100000 And they would get real goofy-like. Like they were doing me a favor, like it was Christmas gift. Oh, you yeah, 15,000, yeah, 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 and they'd act all goofy. And I'm like, you're paying me for what I did. Stop acting like you're doing me a favor and pay the bill. So when somebody does work for you, you're not doing a favor. It's an obligation. You're paying them what you owe them. So act like that. Now, we pay for services like cutting the grass and fixing our teeth and fixing the toilet. That's usually two different people. Um, repairing our car or painting the house. And we complain about the cost sometimes. Do you, do you do that? Do you ever complain? You know, how much, how much do I owe you? What? If, if it was so easy, why didn't you stink and do it yourself? But no, we can't do it ourselves, or we don't have the energy or the time to do it ourselves. Or we don't want to do it ourselves, but then we complain about how much somebody's going to charge it to do it for us. That's wrong. That's wrong. In fact, sometimes we need to consider walking in somebody else's shoes. If the plumber comes and he repairs your toilet and he charges you $100, you ought to spend the life a day in the life of a plumber fixing everybody else's toilet. It'd be worth $100 a pop for you. I'm not sticking my head down somebody's toilet for less than 100 bucks, okay? Walk in their shoes. It's true in ministry. It's true all the time. Everybody thinks somebody else has a better gig. I remember when I was in construction, I was building an eye clinic and I had the plans rolled across the hood of my truck and there was something I was trying to figure out and my phone rang and I pulled it out and somebody on the other line, Hey, bro, I just want to let you know I wish I had your job. I said, okay, and hung up and I put it in my pocket because they didn't even know what I was going through. I had a tiger by the tail, okay? Everybody else's job is not easier than your job, and ministry is not easy. And some people do this with people that are in ministry. Well, I don't even know why you get paid to do what you do. I mean, you only work about two hours on Sunday morning. <laughs> the one that, those of you that laughed, you said it before, didn't you? no. That's what we believe. I want you to know, you ought to walk in somebody else's shoes. I'm going to brag on Clark. Where's Clark's right here? A week, a week ago, he was at Water Week, okay? Friday night, he was at an event from the devil called a lock-in all night long. He's going to the Philippines. That's next week, isn't it? Philippines next <laughs> He did three things in two weeks that most of y'all couldn't lead and survive one of them. You need to double his pay. 
I'm, I'm serious. I mean, he's off. To, he, you do a great job, Clark. Okay, I'm, I'm telling you. Don't he do a great job, students? You ought to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, okay? You don't know what I have to do for a living, okay? My shoes are easier than his shoes, okay? I graduated from those shoes, okay? Thank you, Jesus. And, and so walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. The Bible even talks about paying ministers. Did you know that? Listen to what it says about paying your preacher, about pay, paying staff members of the church. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, elders, elders, we've talked about that, okay? That's elders, bishop, pastor, shepherd, leader. That's us. He says, elders who provide effective leadership must be counted worthy of double honor. Now, you can look this up in Greek. That word honor, you can go to uh, Bible Gateway, Mounts, Interlinear Greek. You can look that up. You know what I mean? Double wages. I love this scripture. I'm going to read it again. Elders who provide effective leadership must be counted worthy of double money. Double wages. That's what it means. Now listen to this. He goes and he says, especially those who work hard in speaking and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. And the worker deserves his pay. It even talks about it. About paying, generous, paying people generously when they work hard and do their job. And so to do otherwise is stealing. Now, stealing is a big deal. Listen. Because every time we break a commandment, we're stealing. Did you get that? Every time we break a commandment, we're stealing. We're stealing allegiance and the rightful obedience to the God who created us. Number one, stealing God's glory. Commandment number two, stealing God's worship. Number three, stealing the holiness of his name. Number four, stealing our rest and the remembering of his greatness. Number five, stealing honor from our parents. Number six, stealing the life of someone else and those connected to that life. Number seven, stealing innocence, stealing purity, stealing faith and trust from the children uh, who are affected to that, with that, infected by that situation. Now, Stealing is a big deal. Stealing is a part of all the commandments. And I don't know if you ever realized in reading scripture, but when Jesus was crucified, Jesus was not crucified between two people who skipped church on Sunday and didn't keep the Sabbath holy. Jesus was not crucified between two adulterers. Jesus was not crucified uh, between two people who didn't honor their parents, okay? Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Why? Because stealing is connected to every other commandment. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 15. With Jesus, they also crucified two robbers, one of his, on his right and the other on his left. Now, the, the, the Greek word for uh, robbers is lestes. It means a bandit, a robber, and a plunderer. Someone who's taken things that weren't rightfully theirs without the thought of return. Or somebody who's withheld what was rightfully some, someone else's. Okay, it is a big deal. Now, of all of those things that we've mentioned, we've all probably felt, felt some level of guilt connected to those at some level, either last week or this week. If you, if you haven't, then you probably have a cold heart and the Holy Spirit is not speaking to you because we all fail in this area. But I wanna show you one of the most grievous ones of all. It, to steal from, to, for, for a, a, a student or a child to get in their mom's uh, purse or their dad's wallet and take 20 bucks, 
And that's stealing and it's not good. To cheat on our taxes, that's stealing and it's not good. To not pay an invoice for not going through the toll booth at Florida, that's stealing and it's not good. But what about if we stole from God? What if we directly stole from God? You would think, well, that's a whole nother level of stealing, right? I mean, that's a bigger deal. That's what we do. We do that too. Listen, I'm talking about number four on the back of your life guide, tithes and offerings. We steal God, we rob God from tithes and offerings. Now, we'll go with me. Don't shut me down. Listen to me. The prophet, some call him the Italian prophet, Malachi, but his name is Malachi, a prophet to Israel. He says this in the Old Testament, Old Testament, Old Testament. I know it's Old Testament. He says this in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Can a person rob God? God says, you are indeed robbing me. But you say, God says, but you say, how are we robbing you? God says in tithes and contributions, you are bound for judgment because you're robbing me. The whole nation's guilty. He says in verse 10, now bring the entire tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in the temple. Test me in this matter. He doesn't say this any other place in scripture, but he says it regarding tithes and offerings. He says, test me in this thing. He says, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out blessing for you until there is no room for it at all. Then I will stop the plagues. It won't just be monetary. He said, I'll impact the plagues, the things that are affecting your world from ruining your crops and the vine will not lose its fruit before the harvest, says the Lord of heaven's army. Commandment number eight, no stealing. And listen, God's saying, listen, don't steal from each other, okay? Don't steal from each other, but don't steal from me either. Don't steal from each other, but don't steal from me either. So what does that even mean? Because when we talk about tithes and offerings, some people are unaware about it. What, what is this thing? Well, it's very simple. Simple. Um, a tithe is 10%. If you give 9% of your income, that's awesome, but you're not tithing. If you give 11% of your income, that's awesome, but it's 10% is tithe and the 1% is your offering. And, and, and I don't preach about giving a lot. I talk about it in the new members class and I talk about it when it comes up in scripture. Because if I don't teach you and you don't know, then I'm robbing you of a blessing. And if none of us know it and none of us obey it, we rob God of his offering and his tithes. We don't try to squeeze the blood out of a turnip. We don't beat you over the head. You know, I don't have a, a team out in the front. You know, they shake your hey, welcome. They reach around, grab your wallet, see you next Sunday. Okay, we don't do that. We don't even pass the plate. We put boxes on the wall for you to put your offering in there. And we provide online giving uh, features for you to give online. That's it. But we should be giving. Now, I'm not afraid to talk about stewardship. Am I perfect at it? No, I'm not. Absolutely not. But I'm not afraid to talk about it. Why? Because it's in this book. As a pastor over a group of people. As a shepherd over a group of sheep. As a leader leading the church, I want to teach you to pray every day, fervently, without ceasing. I want to teach you that it's, it's valuable for you to read the scripture, this book, every day and obey what it says. 
I want to teach you that you need to love God and love other people really big and really well. And I want to teach you that God will bless your giving. But you don't have to listen to me. You don't have to do it. And I don't judge you if you don't. But I'm going to teach you and let you decide for yourself. Now, I know that the, that the, that the discipline of stewardship is a real deal that God truly blesses and honors. I was blessed to be raised by parents who were stewards. I, I, started, I was taught and required to give on a paper route in the third grade. So, so I was taught. Some of you haven't been taught. So that's why we're here. We want to teach about it. Now in this very room right now, in your heads and in your hearts, there are, there's a group of people who are thinking, yes, I love to hear a message about giving because I know it's true. Then there's a group of people in this very room who are thinking, great, another message about money. Then there's a group of people who say, well, I'm kind of intrigued to what he's talking about because I've never really been taught about biblical stewardship and I'd like to know more. And that pretty much sums it up. That's where we are. You are in one of those three categories. I am in one of those three categories. Now, so what is a tithe? I said it before, really, really easy. It's 10%. You see, God knew what he was doing. He could have said a tithe is 13 and a third percent. Man, we'd be having to do our gazentas. We'd have to get our phone out. I mean, we'd be all sideways. 10%, you just move the decimal. You just move it around. Now, that means if you're poverty level, income today, poverty level, as a family of four, that means you make about $25,000. That's about the national poverty level. That means this year you should give $2,500 to the church, okay? Now, we don't have many people that are in poverty level, but we may have some. Most of us are well outside of poverty level. So what does that mean? If you make, as a family, $250,000 this year, a tithe is really easy. It's 10%, $25,000. If you make a million dollars this year, your tithe, not your offering, your tithe would be $100,000. Now, it's not rocket science. He, he knows who he's dealing with. By the way, Brady, when you leave, you better put 10% in that box. I'm gonna teach you right now. And then there'll be more where that came from. Now, God knows what he's doing. God knows how much we love money. God knows that if he has our financial resources in alignment with him, <clears throat> he stands a better shot at gaining our heart. You see, we live in this, this odd dichotomy of belief systems where we as Christians say, yeah, I'm a Christian. God, I trust you with my eternal destiny. I trust you with me forever because of what Jesus did on a cross. I trust you that you have heaven waiting for me one day. But when it comes to my finances, I probably need to take care of those myself. Now, sometimes we ask the question, okay, it's 10%. Do I give 10% of my gross income or my net income? That's not hard. Do you want a gross blessing? or a net blessing, that's it. Some people say, well, because I'm socking it away in my retirement fund pre-tax dollars. I'm putting 25% of my revenue in pre-taxed shelter in a 401k. Should I pay 
tithe on that, you can pay it now or you can pay it when you begin to extract it. But let me just say this, you're socking away a bunch of money that you may never have the opportunity to give on because the Lord may come back and shut this whole thing down like today. And there that money would be all fat and sassy, drawing about 2% interest, okay? And it's never been tithed on and it's never been given to the kingdom agenda. And so you can do whatever you want to do. You can give now, you can give later. You can, you can pay your tithe on it now and you can pay your tithe on it again later on the benefit that he puts on top of the money that you socked away that's been given on. Now, another, another separation of people in this group, this very church right here. There are people in here this morning who give more than 10% of their income. There are people in this room this morning who give precisely 10% of your income. There are people in here who give regularly, but you do not give 10% of your income. And there's people in this room who have never given anything at all. Four categories of people. You're one of them. You're one of those four. That's it. We've got the bases covered. And so every one of those decisions where you are in giving, you've made that decision by running the information of stewardship and this discipline through some kind of matrix or some kind of filter and you come out on the other side and you say, okay, this is where I am. Now, here's, here's the filters that we run stewardship through to determine where we land. First is stewardship ignorance. Again, ignorance is not stupidity. It's uninformed, uneducated. You don't give because you never really knew that that was an expectation of God. You're just like, I, I didn't know. Nobody ever taught me that. That's why we're covering it this morning. And God says, if you'll give 10% of your income and stop robbing me, I will bless you and remove the plagues from your world. That's what he, it's Old Testament. He told Israel that, fair enough, I, stay with me, okay? Number two, financial bondage. Some people have strapped themselves to bondage so much that every penny of their income is already allocated and accounted for. I mean, I've got a mortgage, two vehicles, I got, I got to have electricity. I like it. I need water. I got water. I've got a country club membership. I've got a marina fee. I've got private school. I've got groceries. I've got insurance. And we go through the whole thing. And pastor, there's none left. And so financial bondage makes the decision for us about stewardship. Thirdly is the financial critic. The financial critic doesn't give to the church, and this is why. They say, well, I just don't agree and like the way the church spends the money, so I'm not going to give. Okay, fine. Listen to me. First of all, have you talked to anybody about that? Have you talked to the leadership of the church about what you disagree with? Uh, number two, if you don't trust the leadership with the way they spend their money, why do you still come? Because the same leadership who is allocating the resources is the same leadership that's teaching the rest of the word of God. So if you disagree with the way they allocate funds, why don't you find a church where you agree with the way they allocate their funds? And when you get there, start giving a tithe. That's good news, amen? Crickets. Now, 
The second part of the financial critic is this. The scripture says this, as you judge, so shall you be judged. So if you're a critic of the way the church spends its money, would you open your finances to a full audit from the Lord? If you're critical of the way the church does money, then you need to let God investigate your money. Here, God, here is my bank account for the month. This is where I spent my money. And you know, like I know, God would say, you spent $128 at the steakhouse? Crickets. You see, if we're gonna be critical about the church and we've got all the answers, we need to be, allow God to be critical of our finances because listen, when God said bring a whole tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour forth a blessing so great that you won't be able to contain it. He did not put a caveat at the end and says, as long as the temple and the priest are doing it perfectly. He never said that. It's just like giving a homeless person on the corner money. I don't recommend that. Give them water, something to eat, tell them to come to 11B. But sometimes God puts in your heart to give them money. And somebody will say to you, you gave that person money? You know they're going to spend it on drugs or alcohol or whatever? Listen, what I do with the money that God gives me is between me and the Lord. What somebody else does with that, Lord, with that money, that's between them and the Lord. You see, when we're obedient to God, we wash our hands of what happens beyond that to some level. The next one is the stewardship procrastinator. The, the stewardship procrastinator the stewardship procrastinator says, well, pastor, we both just got out of school and I got a job, I'm making $35,000 and my wife got a job, she's making $35,000. We have $70,000 gross income per year. We have student debt, we have rent, we have cars, we, have, we make this list, okay? And we would really love to give but we just right now, we don't have it. It costs, it takes everything we make just to survive. But one day when we're making more and we get rid of this student debt, it's gonna free us up and we're gonna give more. That's not true. Doesn't work that way. You see, if you make $1,000 a month, $100 Seems like a lot of money to give to the Lord. I can assure you, when you make $10,000 a month, $1,000 looks like 10 times more than the 100 that you wouldn't give before. You see, if there's no foundation in the small things, there won't be obedience in the large things. You may give, but you'll struggle giving 10% because the total that you're giving 10% of has grown and your desire to use it for yourself has grown as well. Listen, listen close. Stewardship is not a product of what you have. Stewardship is a product of what you love. I wanna say it again, because that's good. Stewardship is not a product of what you have. Stewardship is a product of what you love. How do you know what you love? You look at your finances and you see where you allocate those resources. You got a new truck, you're sending them a check every month because you love your truck. You got a new car, I love that new car, okay? You're gonna send them money every month because you love that car. You love the private school that you send your kids to, 
You're going to send them a check every month. You love the country club where you play golf? You love that country club? You're going to send them a check every month. Okay? You love having insurance, home, health, life? You send them money because you love having that security. And then there's God and his church. Do we love it? Not really if we're not given to it. That's what scripture points out. And then there's stewardship interpretation. You see, there's some people who hear this message and you turn them off and say, you're building this case for tithing out of an Old Testament discipline, an Old Testament principle. Tithing isn't really emphasized in the New Testament. Tithing is Old Testament teaching. Listen to me. Tithing is older than Old Testament. Tithing was in the Bible before the Bible was the Bible. Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Don't ask me who he was. I don't really know. That's a deep subject. All I know is Abraham gave him a tithe before Scripture was ever written. Moses would write about this years later. And so tithing is older than the Old Testament. But as we've seen with all of the Old Testament principles called the Ten Commandments, the New Testament doesn't nullify it. It does what? It amplifies it. Always. We've seen it with the commandments. So, so what shows up in the Old Testament is a shadow of what's to come. Everything in the Old Testament was a shadow of the coming Christ. Everything in the Old Testament in terms of commandments was a shadow of the depth of God's desire for holiness in our life, fulfilled fully and only through Jesus Christ. Everything in the Old Testament about tithing and giving was a shadow. But you and I, people say, well, I'm a grace person. I'm a New Testament person. Okay, then you should have moved way beyond tithing. You ought to be given 20, 25% if you're just New Testament person. 10% is the baseline. It is the introduction to trusting God with our financial resources. That's it. In the New Testament, we have been given more. We have the full revelation of Jesus. That was a shadow in the Old Testament. We have a full provision of salvation through Jesus. Shadow in the Old Testament. We have the full hope of heaven secured. Shadow in the Old Testament. We know the rest of the story. We have Jesus in our life, and to whom much is given, much is required. And so if you don't want to go by the Old Testament standard, great. Be a grace giver. In the New Testament, we're going to cover the book of Acts. People began to sell things so that all had some. People no longer were as worried about their possessions as they once were because they had a bigger goal, a bigger agenda in mind, a kingdom agenda. And so they gave to the, for the the forward progression of the church in, into the world through missions. Jesus never abolished the law of giving. Matthew chapter 6, it says, Thus, whenever you do charitable giving, Jesus said, If you decide you're going to be Old Testament and you give, he says, No, he says, Whenever you do charitable giving, do not blow a trumpet before you 
as the hypocrites do in synagogues and on streets so that the people will praise them. I tell you the truth, they have their reward, but when you do, when you do your giving, Jesus is saying, he's expecting us to give. He says, when you do your giving, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your gift may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You remember what he said in Malachi? Bring the whole tithe in the storehouse and see if I don't sprint, swing open the windows of heaven, pour forth a blessing. You won't be able to contain it. And Jesus says it's when you do your giving, you do it in secret. And the Father in heaven who sees it in secret, he will reward you. Jesus addressed the problem that we have with material possessions. Matthew chapter 6, 19, he says, Do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and devouring insect destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, but accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and devouring insect do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your money goes where your heart loves. It's just that simple. First Timothy, Paul says this in chapter six, verse 10. The love of money, he doesn't say money's the root of all evil. He says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Some people in reaching for it have strayed from the faith and stabbed themselves with many pains. And so when we come to a message like this and people come to the church, some people get offended, but they don't get mad because the preacher is talking about their money. They get mad because the preacher is talking about their God. And that's offensive. Nobody likes that. So, so, I don't want you to be upset with me. I don't apologize for speaking the truth. I don't apologize for sharing scripture. But I don't want you to be upset. I don't judge you. I don't know what you give. I, that's intentional because some I would be too proud of and others I'd be too disappointed in. I know what I give. In fact, I got a statement. If you're a member, you should have gotten one too of your giving for the first six months. It's not to say, hey, where, where, where you at? You know, what, what happened? It's to say, this is where you are, just helping you remember where you're at. And, 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 and I got one of those too. I know what I gave, and that's it. And so, but if you're gonna be upset, don't be upset with me. Be upset with Jesus, okay? Take it to Jesus. You say, why? Because listen to what Jesus said. Uh, they came to Jesus, and a man came to him, and he had a, a lot of possessions, and, and he, was, he wanted to be a follower of Jesus, and he wanted to know how he could have eternal life. And Jesus said, oh, obey the commandments. And he said, oh, I've already done all that. Jesus said this about his material possessions. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said, so if you wish to be fully perfect, give 10% to the church ministry. It didn't say, I made that up. It, it didn't say that. Listen to what he said. He said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come and follow me. He said, you, you really want to reveal where your love is at? Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and then come follow me. Scripture says that he walked away with his head ducked because he wasn't ready to do that. See, God knows how we view our possessions. Why? Because he knows our heart and he knows those possessions are his. And he knows that the only reason you and I have them is because he has allowed us to have them. And sometimes we begin to think they're ours, that it's because of our greatness that we have them. No, no. 
Scripture we saw last week. God causes some people to live in poverty. God causes some to have wealth. God is the one who gives the ability to generate wealth. And so, Job understood the reality that we may not have it tomorrow. You may make a million dollars a year, okay? You may not make a million next year. You may have a brilliant mind and they pay you for it. You may fall and bump your head and that goes away tomorrow. You may have the ability to work hard and generate great things. You may have a stroke tomorrow and that goes away. What happens then? Well, if everything's in order, God will take care of your finances even then. Job understood this. Job's an incredible character. Job lost everything. God allowed the devil to take everything from him, his health, his family, his wealth. Job says this in Job 121. Hmm. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the, may the name of the Lord be blessed. You see, if you realize everything you have is really God's, and he's just loaned it to you to, to let you be the steward of it, to be a caretaker of it, then if God takes it away, you can say, hmm, he gave it to me, he took, took it away. He's still God. He's a good God, and I'm going to be okay. We begin to trust him more, just like the song that we sang. So let's finish this thing up. We're almost done. Let's finish this thing up. So I want to give you a State of the Union address for the church since we're talking about finances and since it's the middle of the year. Now, nine years ago, 2014, Kendra and I came over and with some others and we began the revitalization process. The budget in 2014 was about $75,000 a year, okay? That was the budget for the year. 2023, the budget for this year for this church is $1.3 million, Two weeks ago on Sunday, we had finished 26 weeks, half of the year. Half of our budget, estimated budget revenue would be $650,000. You tracking with me? Okay. So how are we doing? As of two weeks ago, midstream into the year, with an estimated goal of $650,000, you, our church, has given $647,120. Okay. Almost precisely where we need to be. Okay, some of y'all skipped your tie the time or two, but you'll catch up and it'll come out. Now, crickets up in here today, Robbie. That's what I'm getting. So, so we're right on track. Now, where does that $647,120 come from? Okay, it came from those who give. So who gives? In this church, uh, we have what's called 180, approximately, real close, giving units. Brady's going to give, give some of his today. He'll become a giving unit. Okay. Or maybe you're already giving, you would already be the giving unit. I don't know. So I don't know what you give, but a giving unit is somebody who gives out of 180 giving units, less than half of those tithe. Out of those 180 giving, about half of those give about poverty level giving, about $2,500 a year. And the rest of it comes from about 90 giving units. Now what that means is, every Sunday we drive up this paved road and we have this beautiful landscape that Gene takes care of for us and we park for most of us in a paved parking spot unless you're in overflow and we walk by the landscaping and we come in and we get us a cup of something 
and we check our children and our preschoolers in back here and we pay a staff to, to lead that. And we have leadership that we pay and we come in here and we sit in this beautifully lit uh, condition controlled space and we look at this 50 foot screen and we have amazing worship some of the best preaching in the country if I'm out and Clark preaches. And 75% of us don't contribute anything to make that happen. And 25% of us pay the lion's share of that $647,120 for the first half of the year. And I just wanna give a great old big hallelujah, praise the Lord, for providing resources to people who are willing to give it back. And so would you join me in celebrating those who pay the bills for the rest of us? Will you do that for me? <laughs> it's time out. Some of y'all right now, right now y'all hating on me, you're thinking the preacher's having me clap for people who paid for all this and I hadn't given anything. He knows what he's doing. I don't know. I don't know who. I'm a gene. I hope you're giving. You're giving, ain't you? You're giving. Me and you. I don't know, I don't know who gives. I don't worry, I don't lay awake at night, is Jimmy giving? I don't think Jimmy's giving. I don't, I don't know, I don't worry about it, I don't lose any sleep over it, because God noticed that God didn't send us this abundance of money that we didn't need right now, but he meets all of our needs exactly and precisely where we are. And it doesn't matter, listen to me, it doesn't matter what's going on out there in the economy, doesn't matter if interest rate is 9%. Doesn't matter if, uh, if the uh, stock market dips 10,000 points. We're on a different scale, a different economy. This is, this is the kingdom of God economy. God takes care of his local church. And so that's where we are. And so what does that mean moving forward? What does that mean moving forward? It means we change the way we look at things. Listen, if I want to be a part of Beaverbrook Country Club down here, because I like to play golf there, I'm, I'm, I'm not a member, but if I wanted to, I have to send them my dues every month. Somebody else isn't going to pay my dues for me. I'll walk up one day after three months not paying my dues and say, they'll say, you don't have a tea time, buddy. If I want to have my boat at a marina where I hit a button, drops it in the water and takes off, I have to send that marina some money every month for that boat to be waiting on me. If I want to be sure that I have health, life, and auto insurance, I have to send a premium in every month. Somebody else is not going to pay my premium. If I enjoy my vehicle and my car, and my home, I have to pay a payment if I owe money on them, or they're going to come and get that home and that car. And, and we know that. If I want season tickets to, to the University of Tennessee, I have to send money in to get those. Nobody else is going to pay my way. But then there's God, and there's his church. And for some reason, we think it's okay for somebody else to pay our way. Well, it costs money to go to church. It costs you nothing to come to church. But there's a big God who gave you everything you have who's calling you to a, into a discipline called stewardship to proclaim the gospel to the world. So what do we do? We change the way we do things. Commandment number eight says no stealing. Do not withhold what is rightfully someone else's. Do not take what is someone else's without the thought of return. What's the greatest thing you can steal from God? 
Is it your resources? Is it your money? No. I don't want anybody in here to ever give one penny to the Lord's church if you have not first given your life. Because if you don't give your life, you'll never want to give him your resources. But once you give him your life and you realize what he's rescued you from, you want to give him your resources. Matthew chapter 22. The religious people were trying to trap Jesus and they said, so Jesus, tell us what you think. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus said, he realized their evil intentions and he said, you hypocrites, why are you testing me? He said, show me the coin used for tax. So they brought him a denarius and Jesus looked at it. He said, whose image is this? And whose inscription is on this coin? And they replied, it's Caesar's. And Jesus said, then give Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. That passage is not about tithes and offerings or taxes. Jesus said, whatever has a picture or an image on it and an inscription on it, that must be who the owner is. And he says, you've got coins, you can give that to, you can give that to government or whoever. He says, but you have the image of God on you. You have the inscription of the creator and sustainer of everything on you. And just like you should give that coin to Caesar because it's got his image on it, you ought to give your life to God because his image is on you. That came from Genesis when it all began. God says, scripture says in Genesis 1, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So giving begins when you give your life to Jesus. That's the beginning. Nothing else I've even said matters. Money, tithing, taxes, paying bills, none of that matters until you give your life to Jesus. You say, how do I do that? You simply say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know. I got witnesses, my family, they'll stand up and testify that I'm a sinner, okay? So God, I confess it. I agree with you that I am in desperate need of a rescue. I can't fix me. I can't be sinless enough to fix my sinful past. But I believe that Jesus came from heaven as a gift from you, God, to die on a cross and pay my sin debt. I believe that. So I want that Jesus, that perfect Jesus, who gave his life on a cross and rose on the third day, I want him to come into my life and do for me what I can't do for myself. I want you to save me. I want you to be the Lord and master of my life. I want to live for you and you alone from this day forward. And then he'll work out the details of all the rest of your life. Don't try to fix you before you take yourself to Jesus. You let yourself come to Jesus right where you are and he'll fix you. So maybe today you've already done that. You've given your life to Jesus. And something in these two messages you realize, woe is me, I got a little thief in me. I got some, I got some stealing things going on in my life. What do we do about that? The same Jesus who offers salvation is the same Jesus who offers forgiveness. The opposite of stealing 
is not not stealing. The opposite of stealing is giving. Ephesians 4.28 says the one who steals must steal no longer. Instead, he must labor doing good with his own hands so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. The opposite of stealing, opposite of stealing is not, not stealing, it's giving. And so as I was preparing this message, I, I thought of this story and I read it. And for the first time, I saw something so beautiful I've never seen before. It's a perfect picture of where Kendra, I'll talk to you about it later. We've been stealing a little bit, okay? She said, why'd you tell the whole church that? Okay. Because I want to be clear. We're all, in, we're all on the same journey, man. We're just trying to figure it all out, okay? And this is what it looks like when we get it. Are you ready? Luke chapter 19. The hair standing up on my arms. This is so sweet. Jesus entered Jericho. He was passing through. Now a man named Zacchaeus was there. And he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was a thief. He was a thief. Verse 3. And he was trying to get to look at Jesus, but being short, a short man, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead. He climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way. I've sang that song since I was a little kid. I've taught that song to my grandchildren. I've taught this story. I never noticed this. Watch this. This is, this is, this is it. And when Jesus came to that place, what place? the thief tree he came to the thief tree right where Zacchaeus was right to the one who had stolen from man and from God he walked right up to the thief tree and he looked up and he said to him Zacchaeus come down quickly because I must stay at your house today in the depth of our conviction for sin of any kind and we want to know about Jesus and we want to see Jesus and Jesus wants to see us too and he walks right up under the thief tree and he looks up and he says Joel don't you come out of that tree I know what you have I know where you got it I want to go to your house today isn't that sweet he had every reason to come up and say, you are a thief. I'm looking for another tree. I'm looking for somebody else that's perfect to have supper with. Nope. He says, I want to go to your house today. He wants to come to your house today. No matter what you've done, what you haven't done, he wants to go home with you today. We're getting ready to dismiss in just a few minutes. No matter who you are and what you've done, Jesus wants to go home with you. Is that not sweet? As many times as I've read that, I never noticed how intimately Jesus pursued somebody who has sin in their life. So what did Zacchaeus do with it? 
Verse 6. So Zacchaeus came down quickly and he welcomed Jesus joyfully. No questions. He said, okay, I'm getting out of this tree. And he followed Jesus. And when the people saw it, they all complained. He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. That's what Jesus does. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, look, Lord, half of my possessions I'm going to give to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone on anything, I'm paying back four times as much. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this household because he too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I want to be real clear. He didn't say, since you gave your money, since you, since you let go of the money, you're saved. No. He said, salvation has come to this house and I can see it because you let go of your possessions. Isn't that cool? It's a big deal. It's a, our, our resources are a big deal to God. He says, just let them go. Let them go. I'll take care of you. There will be no lack. There'll be abundance in your life. It's not prosperity gospel. He says, just let go of it and let me handle it. I am the greatest financial manager who has ever existed. Trust me with my stuff. That's what God says. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God with your body. Every part of our life is an extension of our body. Scripture says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Scripture says that you and I have been bought with a price, and because we are no longer our own, our allegiance is to another, and that, uh, that other is God. And so I want to encourage you today. I don't want you to feel beat up today about your giving. I want to encourage you that there's a big God who loves you way beyond your stewardship. He just wants to have a relationship with you. He'll help you figure out your finances. And I want you to know today as a church, if you're struggling in your finances, we provide to our church members a free service called Financial Peace. It costs you absolutely nothing. It's a Dave Ramsey study that we provide for free. You simply text Tim at Sturkey.Church and he'll give you an access to that. We want to help you in your stewardship journey. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for every individual in here, every family in here, every giving unit in here, every non-giving unit in here. I thank you for every person that's in here. I pray your blessings up over their, upon their lives, your blessings upon their children, your blessings upon their family, your blessings upon their careers and their jobs, your blessing upon their finances. God, most of all, your blessings upon their soul through Jesus, your son. God, I pray that you will help us all just to understand you're not about taking, you are about giving. And God, as you've given to us, we should give to you and we'll give you praise for it. And God, if there's someone, anyone today who doesn't know you in a real and personal way, I'm not talking about a religion, I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that on this very day, your Holy Spirit will reach into the depths of their soul, flip that switch, and invite them into your forever family through Jesus and his grace gift. I pray that they'll be willing to be bold, 
that they will joyfully receive that invitation and that they will leave this place walking with you into eternity. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.